0: What's up, guys? I'm Carolina Risotto, and welcome back to No Ducks Given Podcast, the podcast where we speak openly and honestly about the highs and lows in life because vulnerability is a superpower, not a weakness. Today's guest is Calvin Wayman. He's an author, public speaker, entrepreneur, and ex-cult member. He grew up as a fundamentalist Mormon with one dad, four moms, and he has a total of 44 siblings. Today, Calvin is living in New York City and his goal is to empower people to think for themselves and to live a life that's their own. So today, we're gonna find out if you might be in a cult. Calvin, thank you so much for joining us.
1: So pumped to be here, Carolina.
0: We met a few years ago in LA, which is kind of crazy. I think when we met, you had just left the cult. Uh huh. So I think to start off, I want you to explain to our audience, what is a cult? And just like a general point of view.
1: That's a loaded question because everyone already has some idea of what a cult is. Usually when people think of a cult, they think of usually this central figurehead, this person that's like manipulating a whole group of people. And that is true. Like there are cults like that, but having grown up in a cult and left it just five years ago, one thing I've realized is cultiness is, it, it is not just black and white. It's on a spectrum. I, I like the word culty because you can. there are a lot of things in society perhaps that look culty. And some things that are culty used to not be culty and then they get more and more cult-like. But I'll table that for a sec. But some of the things that make up a cult. There's incredibly strong in group, out group dynamics. For example, in a cult, people inside of it believe something that makes them special, or multiple things that make them special. And everybody else on the outside of that are like certainly not as cool, not as special. Sometimes they're dismissed entirely. It feels like you're in like this super special club and you're so lucky that you get to be in on this club. That's one major thing in group, out group dynamics. The other thing is there's some sort of centralized authority or something that everybody in the group looks towards. Sometimes that is an individual. So you've heard of like there's all sorts of cults on Netflix, different documentaries, and usually there's one figure, one person that's in charge of the whole cult. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's it's an idea that the cult worships. Sometimes it's a group of people that the cult worships. In my case, it was more of a, a group, like several men that were at the top. Usually there's incredibly high stakes. High stakes for being in. This can also be tied to the in-group, out-group dynamics, but the stakes are high for being in, and they're incredibly high, maybe even devastating, to be out of it. So, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably get into different things of how those things play in my cult or other cults, and if it's more exclusive, that's cultier. If it's less accepting, that's cultier. If it's more of like, our idea is the only good idea. Like this, centralized person is almost like a god. The more that's revered, the cultier it becomes.
0: It sounds pretty similar to many of the dynamics we see in society, right? Yeah. In politics, we praise a president.
1: Oh yeah, I'm not saying every political circle is culty, but it, it can kind of be on some level if you don't let if free flowing ideas aren't possible. If you if you feel threatened socially by having some idea that's different from the group that based on the way I look at it, that might be a little culty.
0: Okay. So it seems like the main characteristic of a cult is lack of freedom of expression.
1: That's a major one, right? Because like, for example, the cult that I was in, um, fundamentalist Mormonism, over time, you lose your individuality because what matters most is adhering to the principles of that cult. And the entire group, not just the figurehead, the person at top at the top. Now, now they, I mean, it is top down in some sense where oftentimes they dictate this is how we behave, but they're not always the one policing. Who is policing? Sometimes it's, most of the time, In my experience, it's the other cult members. It's the other people in the, in the group that because you are deviating from the, the script, so to speak, of how you're supposed to be in this group, then people are going to like shun you or like put you in line. And yeah, over time you lose your individuality and your, you sacrifice that for the greater whole, for the group.
0: Okay, we're definitely getting to brainwashing levels here. Yes. That's really scary. So I think one of the scariest parts of being in a cult must be not knowing that you are in a cult.
1: Oh, yeah. the some uh, a fun, There's this saying that I love. Two fish are swimming past an older fish. And the older fish says to the younger fish, how's the water, boys? And the two young fish are like confused they swim away and then finally one of them breaks silence and says what the hell is water in other words the last creature on the planet to discover water is a fish because it's so ever-present that same principle applies
0: wow that is scary
1: yes the last person on the planet to know that that it's a cult is typically the cult member like, there's a reason I lived 30 years, my entire life in it.
0: And what age did you start realizing you were in a cult? How long did it take for you to get out?
1: So it, where it really started was like early 20s. Um, so it took me roughly eight years to process it.
0: So like in your early 20s, you first had that realization that like, wait, there's something off. And then by the time you were 30, you were kind of like, okay, I need to get out.
1: Yeah, took a college class. It was like what I called a crack. And from there, with a lot of studying, a lot of traveling the world, a lot of meeting other people, to the point I left was about eight years.
0: Wow, okay. It's crazy that the brain takes time to process things and to understand what's happening. So the fact that it took that long, which for many people will probably not be that long because some people never leave the cult. So the fact that you left is like, amazing
1: oh yeah most people stay in it because it's it's all they know it's their reality it's it almost feels like death to and and it certainly did for me at certain points the concept the thought of leaving it felt dangerous not even just to my physical well-being but to my at the time my, my soul my entire existence felt like if i actually left this i'm a goner
0: it's that classic saying that if you're in a toxic relationship you probably don't even know
1: i love that you bring that up because i compare cultness to a toxic relationship all the time because people ask people look at cults and they're like they're curious about it but they're like there's no way i could ever i could i could never see myself in a cult like it's just for dumb people and stuff like that hold on no one on this planet got into a relationship to have a toxic one like that wasn't the plan nobody really plans on joining or being in a cult so how does it happen well here's one thing that's not talked about enough in relationships or cults and it's like there's actually a lot of good stuff in it yes there's mind washing or uh, mind games and brainwashing But there is something that people are getting there, that there's some payoff that somebody gets in the relationship they're in. And that's what makes it toxic because they know it's not good for them in the long run, but because there's like love bombing or when they feel good about themselves or this sense of security, that's where the toxicity comes in. In, I mean, my upbringing as a kid and everything, like it was awesome for the most part. I had, Certainly, I was never alone, given how many siblings I had, 44 siblings, all in the same house, on a farm, one dad, four moms.
0: How big was this house?
1: Not as big as it should have been, probably. Um, it It was quite, we were quite tight. It was quite close living quarters when I was young. I was the baby when we moved to the house. But when I was about 12 or 13, we built an addition to the house and made it like, four or five times bigger. So we're talking 12 bedrooms, 12 bathrooms. Each of the parents had their own room. So that's five rooms right there. But the the kids couldn't. So I was always in a bedroom with like three to six of my older brothers.
0: Okay. So you mentioned each of the parents had their own room. I understand that you know, the 44 siblings is from a polygamy, right? Your dad had multiple wives.
1: Mm-hmm. Fundamentalist Mormonism practices polygamy.
0: I didn't think that they all lived in the same house together.
1: That's because it doesn't always happen that way. A lot of fundamentalist Mormon families will have different houses, but there are many, certainly in my church, where everybody lived in one house. Every Every family that I grew up with, my uncles, like literally... Anyone that was that I knew, they lived in the same house. There was not like multiple houses for multiple wives. It was like one family, with three wives, or four wives, or five wives, or f- in, my, in my grandfather's case, fifteen wives.
0: Fifteen?
1: At least he yeah, has at least fifteen wives. Yeah.
0: That's a full-time job. Oh yeah. And the women are okay with that?
1: That is a loaded question.
0: They're supposed to be okay because it's part of the cult, right? It's accepted in the cult.
1: There's so much to unpack, and we don't even have the time to go into all of all of that, but this is what I will say. that If you ask them, they are more than okay with it. They believe it is the way to live. It's all they've known. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's jealousy between wives sometimes and all that, but they view it perhaps because of the conditioning or how it's been taught for four generations, because, again, the cult I was from was a four generation cult they feel that it is almost a spiritual practice to overcome the tendencies for jealousy and that this is the way to live to get to heaven not just heaven the highest heaven because in fundamentalist mormonism and regular mormonism which my church and regular mormonism there's going to be a lot of people that watch this that are in the comments saying Just so you know, we're separate. Well, let me say this. We are way closer than people realize. Fundamentalist Mormonism is birthed out of the LDS Church. The only reason fundamentalist fundamentalist Mormonism exists is because of the LDS Church. We can go into that a little bit later. But from the very beginning of the founding of Joseph Smith, through Brigham Young, the second founder, and beyond, polygamy was put on a pedestal as this is the way to live, to get to the highest heaven. And we were taught that Jesus really had multiple wives, even like, so shocker, everybody thought he was single. Like every woman mentioned Mary Magdalene, like, the, the, like every woman almost that is mentioned around Jesus, we were taught that's actually his wife. But the world just wasn't ready to know yet. So that's why it's like, like when Passion of the Christ came out, the Mel Gibson movie, around Jesus, like my church loved that. They were like, yeah, Mel Gibson, we think he secretly knows. And he did such a good job of like showing Jesus's wives. But at any rate, there's also other stories in the Bible of people that had multiple wives. And so it was taught and believed that it's the premier way for society to live.
0: But why is it that men can have multiple partners and women can't?
1: God didn't ordain. It's not about fairness, it's about what God ordained.
0: So it's not even about sexism, it's just because God said so.
1: Yes, and in the Bible, God said, multiply and replenish the earth. And so that means have kids. In fundamentalist belief systems, Mormonism is probably one of the most comforting religions on the planet if you believe everything it says because when you're born you know exactly where you came from you know the life you were living in heaven you know exactly what this life is all about and you know exactly where you're going after like life is so fucking complicated can you like the universe and like there's so many questions we don't know the answers to but uh, like imagine like if you actually just all of a sudden knew all these answers it just feels so good right and one of the answers and this ties back to your the polygamy thing is we were taught that we were all souls without bodies in heaven part of our soul's evolution is to get a body we were also taught that god himself had a body that had been celestialized that he went through the same process that we are now going through that he was like a spirit soul baby that got a human body at some other point in some other universe, and he kept evolving and evolving and evolving and then eventually became a God. That's what we want too. We saw our father in heaven and we're like, we wanna be like you. We don't just wanna be in your presence like most Christian churches. We want to be a God ourselves. What a fricking great reward. Like that's what we were taught, that you can someday be a God yourself. So we were taught that there's this, we were in the spirit world, in heaven we wanted a body and the how do you get a body by having kids by somebody birthing you and so we believed that the only way to get those souls here like they're waiting they're on the they're in heaven waiting to come here why would you be so selfish and put on a condom like let them come Like, that's like, that's literally how it was. Like, why, why would you play God? That's playing God almost to have any sort of contraceptive. Like you're, and again, that's why polygamy because it takes one man and however many wives he can have to have a lot of babies.
0: And you can't impregnate multiple women at the same time because of they need like nine months to have the baby, but the guy can keep it going. So that makes sense.
1: Yes. You mean if a woman had multiple husbands? You can't have multiple...
0: Yeah, like you can, you can bring more people on earth if the guy is having sex with multiple women. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Great logic. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. Like for looking way, from that point of view, it makes sense. Is,
1: the truth is, and this is with a lot of stories, once you put in a few very unreasonable assumptions it then, and then you just use logic... It actually plays out but of course the it was the underlying assumptions like it, it actually sounds like if you believe the assumption that there are spirits on the other side waiting to come here and then you're like okay and, and our jobs to get him here what well, do you do you have a lot, like that feels logical but of course what we have to do is a, a assess the assumption of like how do we know that there are souls on the other in heaven waiting to come
0: but then after these souls make it on earth then they have the opportunity to become a god like Jesus
1: Yes, because in Mormonism, God and Jesus are very distinct, separate beings. There's no Trinity or that sort of thing. It's God, the Father, a physical person, thing, being, and then there's his actual son. And so Jesus, what his job is, is basically just to point back to the Father. He's like a great big older brother and yes we we don't just want to be like jesus we want to be like jesus because jesus is like the closest to becoming like his father closest to becoming like a god but we want to become a god we want to have our own universe our own planet multiple planets we want to continually progress in this life and the life beyond
0: okay so basically polygamy became a thing because you're helping populate the earth and then you're giving them the opportunity to become gods and you're spreading the message of your cult, yep. which you wouldn't call a cult if you're in it. But right. you're spreading that message and uh, you're also getting a shitload of siblings. <laughs> yeah. So that's where I mean.
1: Now, is that how it started? That's where the water gets a little bit muddier. And that's like as I started to study, I realized where it actually came from the founder, Joseph Smith, when he was married, got caught having sex with a 14-year-old girl named Fanny Alger in the barn by her uncle. He was supposed to be a prophet. And so he's the leader of this church and everybody's up in arms saying, this is a false prophet. And so what does he come up with? This story that actually an angel came with a drawn sword and said, I must marry this woman. I didn't want to. I'm in love with my wife, Emma, and he was going to kill me if I didn't because I'm supposed to be a polygamist. And that's how it came from. It was like a cover-up story. What I'm speaking right now is almost blasphemous to say in the LDS church, but it's the truth because that's the other thing that is so troubling and frustrating about The culture I come from the LDS church, particularly that they whitewash the history so much. There's so many people in the LDS church, the Mormon church that we all know that the Broadway show here in New York city is based on that. Don't even know that there were polygamists. They're like, oh yeah, it used to be a thing, and then they invent stories of like, oh, it was just something that was done because a lot of men were dying, and and they needed to get married to someone. So they got there was there was a shortage of men. Not true. It's because it was a belief that Joseph Smith started, that Brigham Young perpetuated, that they thought was going, that was the one way to live, that they were going to live forever until they were trying to gain statehood, and the federal government was like, we're not giving you statehood. In fact, we're going to start seizing your properties because this is not the way. Uh, Like this seems barbaric, right in line with slavery. And then all of a sudden, one of the after teaching it for a couple generations that this is the one way, this is the one way, this is the one way. One of the church leaders says, we're not going to live polygamy anymore. They started telling the federal government, oh, we're not doing it anymore. And they got some revelation that God said, it's not required anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they actually did it. They, they kept living it secretly. The church leaders, even though they told the federal government, we're done. We're not doing it anymore. Here's our revelation on it. But then the church was still secretly living it. And the, gov- the word got out and they're like, uh, we're hearing that pl- polygamy marriages are still happening. We're not giving you statehood. And they were, there was a lot of pressure and there were court cases about it and everything and then finally they actually did at least from a leadership position say you know what absolutely we're not doing it and they they stopped doing it but they now had a population in the church followers that were polygamist that had families that were taught that the reason they're polygamous is so they can get to the highest degree of heaven They still wanted it, and so followers were like, well, my leaders said to stop living it, but we're not breaking up our families. We're going to keep living it. And because of the pressure from the government to the LDS church, the LDS church excommunicated their own members that were living the way that they taught them. That's where my church exists, and this is for anybody watching that is actually curious about LDS Church and Mormonism or if you are an LDS member this is the actual truth this is the actual I mean just i truth is such a loaded word this is the history look it up that's actually what happened and so people say all the time that oh fundamentalist mormonism and mormonism are so separate no fundamentalist mormonism came out of the LDS church and it happened when a passionate minority within the LDS church decided to keep living what they were taught because they had a testimony for it and their church leaders excommunicated them and then fundamentalist Mormonism was born. That's where I come from.
0: So in 1830, Joseph Smith founded the Mormon church, which originally was not supposed to be, you know, polygamous, but it became after he got caught cheating on his wife with a 14 year old He created this whole idea that you're going to become a god or whatever if you're spreading polygamy and having multiple wives. But then years later, the church decided to change its core essence of polygamy and then was like, you know what? That's not a thing anymore. We're going to be faithful, let's say, even though people are not these days anyway. But we're going to be faithful.
1: By faithful, you mean monogamous.
0: Monogamous, yeah. We're going to be monogamous. Thank you. And then... The people who were taught that polygamy was okay and already had their families built around polygamy, they were basically excommunicated, and that's how the fundamentalist Mormonism came about in
1: the late 1800s. Yes. So
0: the core essence is the same. Would you say the biggest difference between them is the polygamy?
1: There, there's a lot of similarities still. There are a lot of a bunch of little differenti- differentiations that have happened over time, because fundamentalism they're proud of sticking to their guns they're proud of sticking to the original teachings especially of joseph smith who was a polygamist when you really dig into it and you look at the events as they took place though there is no stories talking about polygamy until after he got caught
0: so let's go back to your childhood, going up with that many siblings, didn't it ever call your attention that you had 44 siblings and I don't know, maybe your next door neighbor didn't?
1: Yeah, but it was still normal um, because the way we were raised, again, we were, we were special, just like I, at the beginning of the episode talking about, like, we were special because we knew the truth. We knew that there was the outside world that everybody in the outside world, we called the, the Gentiles. We knew Gentiles did not know the truth like we did. So, of course, they're just going to be a single child with a two-parent household. like that They don't know any better.
0: You pitied them almost. Oh, yeah. Like, they're not going to heaven. They're not going to become gods. We are.
1: Well, secretly, especially when I was a teenager, I, I, I kind of hoped, I wished that I got to be my next-door neighbor for a different reason. Maybe we, I'll just give a quick aside on that because we were also taught that you're judged based on the knowledge God has given you. So if you didn't know any better, you can't be judged for it. So it's better to never have heard the truth versus you were told the truth and then you turned away from it. For example, if I lived like my next door neighbor, the next door neighbor's okay because they never knew the, the the truth that this is the church this is my prophet this is the way that the life is but they have a chance still to hear the truth either in this life or even in the next life that's a whole other conversation that they get that every soul every soul is going to have a chance to be saved to hear the mormon truth that's why there's like baptism, like there's this whole thing in Mormonism, baptizing for the dead, because they're trying to get everybody saved. Like, so it, w- it was somewhat normal that we had neighbors that only had one or two kids, but everybody that I knew that I grew up with, my cousins, my grandfather, they had big families too. So it was just normal.
0: And you didn't spend time with those other kids that weren't part of- Uh-uh. So- I was homeschooled. You were homeschooled and you only spent time with your siblings or your cult community.
1: By the time I was 20 years old, 99% of the human beings that I knew had the last name Wayman. My name is Calvin Wayman, my same last name. We lived in a fenced yard, never left the yard, didn't even go walk the streets on a dead end road. If we saw cars coming down the street, We were taught to hide behind the bushes or run in the house so that the world did not know we were polygamists because we knew that it was illegal. We also knew that the devil wanted to, you know, get us in trouble because we're the one true church left. Like I have great grandparents on both sides, on both of my biological parents' sides that have spent time in jail for their religious beliefs. So... The outside world was was like scary. It was threatening. It was not your friend. And so the only people you really hung out with were people that were living the same way you were.
0: You can go to jail for being polygamous? You
1: can in Utah. Not anymore. But the laws were created because of the pressure of who's the state made of? Mormons.
0: I'm alarmed by what you said earlier that like cars would drive by and you would be hiding. Oh yeah. So you would basically hide your existence from the external world?
1: Totally. In fact, I have this story that I'll never forget. I didn't realize how... I just knew we were supposed to not tell them the whole truth somehow when I was really little. And I remember my dad saw me and my younger brother talking to a neighbor kid. This feels so primal, but... Literally, if he wanted everybody to come to my dad, he would whistle. And if you heard a whistle, you freaking run and and get to him. You don't walk, you run. And he saw us at the end of the yard, my, my younger brother and I, talking to a neighbor kid. And he whistled. And he ran. And he knew that, because he didn't want us talking to a talk neighbor because he didn't want us to tell the neighbors that we had at the time. Uh, not four moms, three moms. But this is the funny part. My little brother johnny had told the neighbor that we had three moms and my dad was livid and i remember saying oh but don't worry don't worry because i told the neighbor kid no we don't johnny we don't have three we only have two <laughs> and i thought that was like i did a good thing but i just remember my dad like laughing and i was like wait was that not quite right? I mean, I, I did lie. Wasn't that the point? Um, but it's like, no, that's still polygamy. Anyway, yeah, we we were taught to like not let other people know. And I didn't tell anyone. I went all through college, maybe telling one or two people, kind of, but not even fully going deep into it because I was so conditioned that do not cast pearls before swine. They're not ready for it. They're not in it. So
0: You pity them. But it's not your responsibility to tell them?
1: Pity, not my responsibility, and for my own security.
0: Your own protection. Because
1: if I tell them, they could tell law enforcement. Law enforcement could do whatever. My parents could go to jail.
0: Well, people always put like human uh, life or human safety into the game as a form of manipulation because uh-huh. it's the biggest fear. It's dying. Uh-huh. However, if you die, you become a god in your religion. So. Yeah. Not so bad.
1: We weren't afraid of death. We weren't afraid of hell. That was it, because hell was, like, eternal.
0: But you would go to hell if you told your neighbors about your religion?
1: Not really, but I guess I'm just responding to your comment about how manipulation is used. And if we want to get into some of that, we can. But the way I was super manipulated and a lot of people in are manipulated, certainly within fundamentalist Mormonism, is this fear of going to hell forever.
0: Okay, so what gets you into hell in fundamentalist Mormonism? Leaving. Okay.
1: You leave the church, you could go to hell. In fact, that was a big one. And just look at that as like a manipulation tactic, right? Absolutely. You're judged based on what God gave you. You're judged based on the knowledge God gave you. God loved you enough, Calvin that you got to be born in the one true church. That's because I fought valiantly in the previous existence that I fought for Jesus's plan, not Lucifer's plan. And I got to come here. And God said, this is the one true church. You have church leaders that have this special power called the priesthood. The priesthood is God's power to speak on God's behalf on the earth. Unless you have the priesthood, you're not speaking for God. You're speaking from a place of your own humanity. The only way to truly speak with authority of God is to have this thing called the priesthood. You were born where the priesthood is in the one true church. That is a massive gift. You have this gift that is so good that if people knew how good it was, they would be clawing to get into this church. This is how I'm stopped. And because you were given so much, if you turn away from it, it's like giving God the finger. And so that's why you can be damned. Because it's such a good thing that you were be given, you have the, the the truth, and the one sin that you can't sin against we called it sinning against the spirit of the Holy Ghost. You actually not only heard the truth, you accepted the truth. You had a testimony that this is the truth. And if you once ever believed that this is the truth, God revealed it to you and you owned it, and then you turn away, you sinned against the Holy Ghost. That's that's worse than rape or murder. And so you're gonna go to hell and you'll be cast into outer darkness.
0: Okay, so the biggest thing that would get you to hell in fundamentalist Mormonism would be to leave the group.
1: That's one of them. What
0: are the other reasons?
1: Like murder and stuff like that. But the thing that's really strange is there. there's all these stories of like, but you can still like redeem yourself somehow. But it's usually things like, again, sinning against the Holy Ghost, which is going against what God revealed to you, uh, going against one of the church leaders and saying, like fuck John Timpson or something disrespectful to whoever's higher up. That's really it. And there's probably a, a, a bigger list, but it's just like you if you haven't repented, you know, there's some things you can't repent of. I think growing up, I feel like my parents taught that sex before marriage was something like that. Like I was terrified of falling in love because if I fell in love. That would mean I might want to hold her hand. But if I held her hand, we might be close. And if I'm close, I might want to kiss her. Holy crap, what if I kissed her? What if kissing leads to sex? (gasps) And we weren't married. Oh my gosh, I'm going to hell.
0: You can go to hell if you leave Mormonism or if you have sex before marriage. This is starting to sound like a lot of religions out there. Totally. There's a lot of religions that are borderline culty. Like if they're- Good word. If they're telling you to, you know- not have your own individual thoughts to follow one and only leader and controlling you to that point, as we're describing here, you might be in a cult. Even if it's not popularly called a cult, it might be because even fundamentalist Mormonism to them, it's not a cult. Dude,
1: this is a strange thing. I've been out for five years. It's been a year. It's only been the last year that it's clicked for me that it is a cult. Five years post, f- four years out. Like it—it it is a lot to, there's a lot of layers to take off. And when you hear cult, the other thing that's so fascinating about being in a cult, it is so easy to spot other cults. Like it was easy. It was so easy. But would you call it a cult? Probably. Like it was, it was, we, we, there were other fundamentalist Mormon churches that we knew. And we knew that they were obviously wrong. But we weren't. Like, what was really funny for me, um, sometime right before I left, it was actually really close to when I decided to leave. Um, I was living in the southern Utah, northern Arizona area at the time, which is where my church is headquartered. People may know of Colorado City, Arizona, that's like infamous of where Warren Jeffs, who's a fundamentalist Mormon church leader. Um, thankfully, he was never my prophet. Um, his church and the church I was born into was once the same church. But then there was a split off because of leadership disputes over who actually had the true church, which is a- another like consistent pattern in fundamentalist Mormonism. But I, I had a couple friends come stay with me that, um, I met at some business conference and they were coming to stay with me cause they were going to go to the Grand Canyon or, or, or Zion or something like that. And this was before it really clicked to me what I was in. And, um, I was driving them around town. Now keep in mind where there's something, the Warren Jeff's church that a lot of people will know the name of. There's a, a documentary called Keep Sweet on Netflix. Fundamentalist Mormonism, like that's where this area is. And I was living down there and I was driving my friends through Colorado City, which is a neighboring cult to the cult that I'm from. I had already started opening up telling people about my upbringing, my beliefs, my questions around it. So they knew a little bit already about my own beliefs and what I was taught. But I was driving them through the neighboring cult telling them how it was so strange how they dressed and how because they were more conservative than mine and like and and like what they believed and i remember my friends asking so basically they're the same as you yours and when they said that and like i remember like what no wait like they're way different they're way different And they're like, really, how? And they were genuinely confused because they heard me describe mine, then I'm describing this other one. And it did not occur to me till that moment how similar we actually were and we literally lived five minutes down the road from each other was once the same church and we were taught that we're like totally separate and so it is fascinating how you can be in a cult you can recognize another cult that other cult can even look exactly like you and believe almost the exact same fucking things and you don't see it and that's literally how it is today to this day i have family members loved ones that they know for a fact that these other fundamentalist mormon churches are clearly culty but we're so lucky that we're in ours listening to these six men that say they speak for god i'm so lucky that i get to be a part of this there's no way this could ever be a cult
0: it's back to the toxic relationship thing it's like we say oh like when our friends are in a toxic relationship we will say that would never happen to me like how could they still be in that relationship why haven't they gotten out of it yet But then it happens to you and you're the one who can't see it. And I think everyone, at least already in their 20s, has been in at least one toxic relationship. Yeah.
1: And even if you started to see that it was toxic when you were in it and that's what ultimately made you leave, this is what I can guarantee you. The longer you are out of it, the more you realize just in fact how toxic it actually was. You didn't even know the half of it when you finally left. You were like, It's after leaving it and then self-reflecting and journaling and thank God for therapy that you're like, oh my gosh, why did it take me so long to leave that? You know?
0: At the end of the day, what matters is that you left and that you found your voice, it seems, today. And you're still finding it. It's a process, right? But I think for myself even, like I recently got out of a toxic relationship. And when I say relationship, it could be friendship, it could be romantic, it could be anything. But I got out of it about two months ago and... Like, yesterday, out out of nowhere, like, a thought came to my mind. I was like, oh, damn, like, that was really messed up, wasn't it? Like, that moment. Like, you just have a memory. And so the realization really comes slowly. Like, even after you get out of it, like, that's just the first of a gazillion steps until you, like, fully heal and find your identity again and your sense of self.
1: Yeah, and learn about yourself. Learn about human nature and psychology. Like... Once you learn a little bit about that, you learn about narcissism or uh, like manipulative tendencies and, and, and cognitive biases, then you can look at it with new lens and be like, oh, whoa, I see how that was being played. Like, no wonder people believe it. It's just confirmation bias over and over and over people aren't leaving the bubble they're going to church every Sunday hearing the same story same story nobody's coming in and sharing a different story so what are they believing the thing that like they're seeing the outside world but what are they seeing destruction issues where the one true safe place like it's just reinforced 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 it's and it's it's interesting that as you learn about again just your own psychology and what made you believe it you then you then see it and be like okay i have a little bit more almost compassion and empathy and understanding of like okay i see why that why it's lasting or why it lasted as long as it did for me
0: anybody even if it's someone you love very deeply or someone you praise if they're not letting you have your own form of thinking or letting you explore different options that's toxic the world is so big there's so much to explore there's so many people to meet and experiences to have. If anybody's stopping you from doing that, that's toxic. Be careful because there are many little ways that we're brainwashed and manipulated every single day. Let it be by the media or by politics or by a family member. It's everywhere. So like, I think it's really important to just develop your own train of thought and your own individuality. And that takes questioning everything around you for a moment and exploring different options so you can see like, wait, is this how I really think or is this how I was taught to think? Let me explore or study a little bit this different subject. And then if you're like, you know what, I think the way that I was originally taught is the way that I actually think, you can go back, but there's no threat to questioning things. Questioning is a positive thing because we're all individuals for a reason. We're on the earth as individuals for a reason. So we can develop our individuality. If we came here as individuals, it was because we have to have an individual experience and individual thoughts.
1: That's why I love travel. Because travel, you just get smacked in the face of something being done a different way or people behaving differently. And then it, you think about your home differently. But I think what's so helpful, challenging but helpful, is question your internal world too. Ask yourself, why do I believe this? And go a couple layers deep. Because when I was in fundamentalist Mormonism, I said, well, I believe this because it's the truth. And so you have to start to almost become pseudo-psychologist on your own internal world of being like, I'm believing this because it's the only inputs I'm really getting. Yes, I have access to the internet nowadays and stuff like that, but everything's looked through a Mormon colored glasses. And and so you, you know how to dismiss certain information and you know how to accept other information. Then you start to be like, I think I believe this only because of, of X, Y, Z. So then you can start to really do something that's really challenging. And that is, I'm going to put myself on neutral footing and see if I would still choose this that's the only way that I know that you can actually maintain your individuality is if you can leave it enough, get secure enough with yourself that you can be like, and then, and then choose. Like I am so cool with whatever anybody believes. I don't give a fuck what somebody believes, but I give a lot of care why you believe it. How did you come to it? What process did you go through? Were you surrounded by it? Did you leave it? Did you toil? And I don't mean that you were around it forever and you went on a mission and got confirmed it and got some spiritual experience like what did you actually go through did, did you did you ever leave it away did you actually try on not just intellectually did you actually try a different religion did you try different practices um but that's that's the hard work looking into the mirror looking into yourself and asking why do i believe what i believe
0: The hardest journey of getting out of your comfort zone is the internal journey. Oh, yeah. Questioning who you are in your existence is one of the hardest things that you can do, but it's also one of the most rewarding. And I think social media, in a way, kind of has become a little bit cult-like because think of the algorithm. It gives you more of what you research (sighs) and of what you already see. I do not
1: hear people talk about
0: this enough so right. That's a problem. The algorithm, it, it doesn't bring you new information. It brings you the same information over and over again.
1: You're so- giving me goosebumps. Where this actually started, where I really started to notice this, is I have some family members that are like flat earthers. And I was wondering, how could anybody believe the earth was flat? Because they started watching a YouTube video and they wanted to research more. So how did they research more? Next recommended video. Next recommended video on social media they're hanging out with their conservative facebook groups and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and then i saw it like more left-leaning people you want to hang out and see the type of content that resonates with you and so that is just it's just so important i think to recognize that just be aware of it that there's no such thing as facebook and twitter and youtube and what I mean by that is there is your Facebook, there is your YouTube, there is your Twitter. Your Facebook doesn't look like my Facebook. Your Instagram doesn't look like my Instagram. We call it those things and we we, we start talking about it like it's the same thing. It's freaking not. No wonder there are tensions because people are getting one reality. Another group is getting a completely different reality. And every each group is like, what the F are you guys talking about? It's not like that at all. It's like this. And it's because... Trite, quite literally, they're experiencing reality in a different way. That's a, a very insightful thing how social media can almost become coldy. And it is, and you got to be mindful of it.
0: Yeah, even like on my Instagram feed, I don't go to the Discover page very often. I usually use social media, honestly, for business. I go there, I post, I comment on my peers' stuff. That's you probably have it. ducks,
1: ducks in your Discover
0: my discover page for my podcast is only ducks and motivational quotes
1: that's hilarious is it
0: really i swear to god if you're using instagram they're gonna tailor your discover and this is for other social media platforms as well but they're going to tailor your discovery page to things that you like and that you already consume and know of so knowledge that you already have which probably came from the way you grew up or where you are or your friends so it's either gonna be that or it's gonna be based on the people around you, meaning your current social circle, the people that you currently know. So it's never giving you an outside perspective. So how are you How are you gonna to know to question your reality if those questions and that information is not even available to you? The internet is supposed to empower you, but now, it is most likely brainwashing us back into the same state because most people don't have the curiosity or the courage to question their own reality. So most people will stay in that brainwashy cycle.
1: We live in a world that it is easier than ever to listen to new perspectives if you're willing to. Don't listen to what the Republicans believe just from Democrats. Go to their channels like, and see what they're believing. You can get well-rounded views, the problem that we often see is you're usually learning about the other group from your group that's not the way like go around and actually consider and listen
0: I'm always interested in learning from people who have completely different opinions from mine. That's what I think is more interesting. And then getting to the core of like, why do you think this way? Because if you get to the core of it, then you can actually empathize or understand a little bit better. I think everybody wants the same. Everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants love. But we all have different perspectives and point of views because of how we grew up or the information that we were exposed to. So there are different ways to achieve that. For some people, true love and the way you know of the world is polygamy for other people it's not i also think travel going back to the comment that you made before is such a great way for you to expand your horizons because you're getting exposed to growing up in completely different ways like even like you know i'm brazilian and brazil and the u.s are very similar many ways in in terms of the content that we consume but culturally it is so different So, and it's in the small things, it's in the subtle things that later on become big things and sometimes... The place where you grow up or the family that you grow up in is not the thing that you're going to identify with the most. So have the courage and the respect for yourself to explore something different, because it's a lot more rewarding than being stuck in a life that's not for you. And the only way for you to find out is by expanding your horizons and looking for that information and searching for those new experiences.
1: You're dropping mics, Carolina. It's why I love New York City. I love the variety that is constant because it, it's just a constant reminder of there the world is such a big place there's so many ways of living this life but what it ultimately comes down to is like what do i want like what do i what do i actually want not what was i told what not what society said not what my mom or dad or my mom or my mom or my mom like not, not what anybody said what do i want and actually getting honest with that It's it's a a challenging and very rewarding process.
0: Something funny about that is that my first guest on the podcast, Angel D, who is all about getting out of her comfort zone. She, she does like uh, daily comfort zone challenges and stuff. She's super interesting. But in her story, she talks about how she was living the life that her parents wanted, but it was actually the life that she thought that they wanted for her. She just assumed they want me to work in business and get this degree. So sometimes there's not even that pressure and that expectation. You make it up in your head because of what you see around you. And you're like, everyone's doing that. That looks great. That's what I should do too, because then I will be accepted. But sometimes people will just accept you for who you are. If you just say, hey, this is who I am, you know, so don't assume that people won't accept you and give it a try try something new start asking some questions and see different opinions as well i think being curious is really important
1: totally and i'm going to take the other side of the conversation people will reject you by doing that you may not get accepted at least that was that was in my case the decision that i made to leave like overnight almost 99% of the kids that I grew up with became estranged overnight because of, again, the big difference between in-group, out-group dynamic. They took it very personally when I decided to leave. So how do you do it anyway? Even how, how do you keep curious? How do you keep trying? I think one thing I've always thought of is that study of people on their deathbed. There's this study of like, what's the number one thing they regret? And it's not that they would have gotten a job or whatever. The number one thing that they regret is not living true to themselves, that they gave into social pressure to do something different and they regret it on their deathbed. The the biggest decision of my life was not living in a cult. It's not. That was not challenging. There were things challenging. There's all this stuff that I've had to unwind with therapy and psychedelics and all sorts of stuff after. There's a lot of this nonsense that I've had to reorient my life. I'm having to, I've had to start over at 30 or whatever. But the most difficult part was coming to the place where I actually said, I'm leaving because you have no idea how visceral those social connections feel and how lonely it is when you cut it off and you're truly alone. It's like holy fuck, you almost question everything. Did I do the wrong thing? Should I go back? All that sort of stuff. But the one thing that kept me true to it was, I've got one life. And I don't want to regret not living true to me. And if that means that I'm going to live the rest of my life alone in pursuit of living true to me, I'll take that bet. Because I don't want to get to the end and say, I regret that I did not live true to myself. And then I'm also trusting, back to your point, that if I do that, I'm going to find my people. Like I used to be afraid thinking I lost friends overnight. What I've since learned is like, no, they just want true friends. Because who are true friends? True friends are the people that you get to be yourself around. That you get, you're, you're like, you know, like they love on, like they accept you. They might give you shit, but that's great. You know, you get, you feel safe to share your biggest dreams out loud or your insecurities like that's okay. And because I didn't have that, I didn't lose anything. I gained because I didn't have that baggage now that by me, the more I leaned into what I really believed people didn't want to talk to me anymore. Okay, good. Now I get to be myself, be myself as, as loud as I want to be and be my own brand of weird and find other people that resonate with that brand of weird. And and that's what's so exciting to me now that I'm living here is I'm just starting to collect these cool people, these acquaintances, these comedians, these artists, these like people that just think differently. And I can just be my myself. And it's and it's okay. It's so freaking satisfying when you go from having to walk on eggshells and do everything the exact right way, never wear short sleeves or short like dress a certain way to then you just get to be yourself. So it's incredibly challenging in some sense, but it is incredibly the right move in the long run if you can just have the courage and that's what it is. It takes courage because it's not going to be it's not sunshine and rainbows, but I still think it's worth it.
0: I think people uh they take mortality for granted. Like they don't understand that life is going to end we are all going to die and i think death really humbles people it reminds you of how precious your existence is and actually as i've been doing interviews here on the podcast i am making decisions differently now because i am really paying more attention to my mortality and just thinking like if my life ended or if i lost my ability to walk or if i couldn't see How would I make decisions differently today when I have all of these abilities? And when I realized that my decisions would be very different than from the life that I was building, even though a year ago that was like the right life and it was what I wanted, I realized a year later, wait a second, I need to question myself again because my values have changed, my my beliefs have changed because I have allowed myself to change. And that's you being your most authentic self because as you're exposed to new things, you're evolving, you're learning new things, you're gonna change and you need to keep up with that change because it's very easy to get yourself off track. But when I started really putting mortality into the game, which is the first time I've ever done that, I really realized how precious life is. And I've been just having small moments of gratefulness, even if I'm like having breakfast or just laying in bed, just just feeling so good. And so I think sometimes you need to bring mortality into the game and you need to take that seriously because that really changes the way that you behave. And I think that also sometimes it's what gives you the courage to start questioning your life and start questioning yourself.
1: I could not agree with you more. When I left and I started having these types of thoughts, I was incredibly depressed because I don't get to be a God now. And I don't get to have all this big stuff. There's like, it doesn't, like, it was incredibly depressing that this could be it but then I but then a switch happened some point on the journey that's just exactly what you're talking about where I was like wait a minute if this is it and here's the thing it's a great thing to believe that we're going to continue on forever and I'm not even discounting that as a possibility but let's say this the thing we know for sure is
0: here. what's physical we're yeah.
1: here the thing we know that's what we know for sure yes we hope there's something after but we know this and I was like what if this is just all that it is and instantly all these moments mattered that you're talking about this conversation is a conversation that is like it's it's never been done will never happen again quite like this like the conversations with people the kisses are sweeter sunsets look better food tastes more rich like it generally goes from just going through life to where it almost feels deeper and richer to me, where I'm like, I'm going to die. And instead of that being depressing now, it's like, holy crap, like any, I'm on a plane and I'm looking out the window now and I'm like, this is crazy. Once upon a time, these hairless knuckle dragging apes that we are looked up and said, we wanna do that someday. And because we are the freaking strange animal that we are in this universe, we figured it out, we did it, and we hijacked an entire other species' technology, birds, and we do it better than they do, I might add. And that's crazy. But we get into these... Here's the other thing humans do. We take things for granted so quick, and we think it's just normal, and I think it's remembering your mortality lets you pause a little bit and be like, no, this is crazy life itself is 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 crazy in the best way it's bananas it it can be so freaking rich and if you actually get this way i mean knock on wood like e- even even some of the hard stuff can get cool heartbreak like the moments that i've wanted to end at all like all those things in a way in broaden my broadened perspective strangely have some level of appreciation because it's like it's just depth it's feeling in such an intense way
0: it's another layer
1: my point is just agreeing really with the mortality conversation that it doesn't have to be depressing it like when you realize that this could be it you want to make the most of each second
0: hey guys carolina here before we wrap up the episode uh you probably noticed that this episode is called part one which does mean there will be a part two it's going to be released on monday august 21st so exactly a week after the release of the part one the reason i decided to do this was there's just so much to cover here with calvin and after doing a poll on no ducks given podcast instagram you guys decided that I should split the episode into two parts, otherwise it would have been over an hour and a half long. So I think this is good because it gives you an opportunity to process everything, think about everything. And part two of the episode is gonna talk more about the moment Calvin realized he wasn't a cult in the process of getting out of it and a little bit of his life after the cult. The next episode is actually going to be the last episode of season one of No Ducks Given podcast. So remember to follow us on all platforms and wherever you listen to your podcast so you stay up to date about the upcoming season two. Thank you all for listening. I'm Carolina Risotto. This was No Ducks Given podcast. I'll see you on Monday for the final episode of season one. Quack.